Welcome to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. I'm Tori Mystic, here with my dogs, Lucy and Bert. Together, we're interviewing cool, creative women entrepreneurs in the pet industry. Do you dream of working alongside your dog? Then sit, stay, and listen to the latest episode to find the inspiration and resources that will help you grow your own dog-inspired business. On this episode, we're taking a deep dive into what we feed our pets. Food is life, so what you feed your dog is going to make a big impact on them. Today, you'll hear from an integrative veterinary medicine expert on how the right foods can help your dog live a longer, happier, and healthier life. After this interview, I actually changed up some of the things that I feed Lucy and Bert. If you're interested in learning more about pet nutrition, make sure that you check out episodes 60, 57, 35, and 20. You'll really like all of those as well. And make sure that you stick around until the end of this conversation to get inspiring advice on the entrepreneurship journey that we're all on. Dr. Judy Morgan is a best-selling author, speaker, and certified veterinary acupuncturist, chiropractor, and food therapist. She currently operates two award-winning veterinary hospitals that offer an integrative approach combining holistic medicine with traditional Western techniques. In her effort to educate pet owners, she is an author of four best-selling books on holistic pet care and feeding, along with hundreds of blog posts and articles reaching millions of pet owners worldwide. She also has a line of pet supplements called Naturally Healthy Pets, which is available on her website and also on Amazon. She lives with her husband, Hugh Grant, not that Hugh Grant, but the original Hugh Grant, (laughs) along with six rescue spaniels, four adopted cats, eight chickens, and four horses. So just a few animals around your house, Judy. (laughs) Uh, Just a few. It's kind of a zoo. (laughs) It sounds like it, but it sounds really fun. It's fun. <laughs> and and you obviously have stuck with spaniels. So have you been a, a lifelong spaniel owner? It's kind of funny. When I was a young child, my mother adopted a dog before I was born that was a Cocker Spaniel Irish Center Cross. So it's kind of a dark red, uh, medium-sized, spaniel-y looking dog. And so it must have just stuck because along the years, I I actually went through a Doberman phase and I had Dobermans for quite a while when my kids were small. And then we got into the Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. My daughter rescued the first one and it just blossomed from there. And we've always had a house full. (laughs) I love it. I love, I I am a chocolate lab person. That was the dog we had growing up. And so I've always had chocolate labs and it's just fun when you have a whole bunch of one kind together. (laughs) Yeah, we do have one Cocker Spaniel thrown in there, one English toy, but four Cavaliers right now. So we kind of stick in the the small Spaniel family. Yeah, that's really (laughs) nice. So I I just dove right. I was like so intrigued by your animals. Um, So I didn't really give you a chance to introduce yourself. But tell us a little bit about um, how you got started with integrative medicine and, and what exactly is an integrative approach to pet health in case people don't know. So we kind of think about medicine as being traditional medicine that we've been exposed to from an American perspective, and that's what most of the majority of veterinary clinics offer. Um, And then we think on the other side of the fence, there's holistic doctors who might practice acupuncture or chiropractic or food therapy or use herbs or homeopathy. So things that are not part of the mainstream traditional medicine. In integrative medicine, 
we take kind of the best from both worlds and we put them together. So I don't shun traditional medicine. There are some things I avoid as much as possible, uh, but we don't shun that. And if we need to use something, what I find in general is that traditional medicine is really awesome for an acute problem, something that's happening right now or a trauma that happened right now. But when we get into some of these longstanding chronic problems, traditional medicine runs out of tools in their toolbox. And when we look at it from a more holistic standpoint and we're trying to get the body to heal from within and we look at the whole animal. So from a traditional standpoint, we might say, oh, that dog's in kidney failure. We're going to give him a diet to, to treat kidney failure. Well, I just had a case the other day where the dog has cancer. So we've designed a diet to treat the cancer. Now the dog went into remission, came back out of remission, the cancer's active again, they're going through chemo again, so they're using that traditional medicine, but the dog also developed kidney failure. And so the traditional oncologist said, oh, well now we have to put the dog on this specific prescription diet for the kidney failure, and the client was, has been working with me over the years, and she knew that that diet was absolutely the wrong thing for a cancer patient. And so the traditional doctor totally obliterated the fact that the dog has cancer and said, well, now we're going to treat the kidney disease, but it was with something that would make the cancer worse. So we're always looking at it from the whole, like you can't ignore the cancer problem to treat the kidney problem and you can't ignore the kidney problem to treat the cancer problem. You have to look at everything as a whole. So we just redesigned the diet to address both problems. So you know, from a integrated standpoint, we're, we're using the best of both things, but we always look at the whole, we don't treat one specific problem. It's, I mean, we look at their mental state, we look at their environment, their uh, physical state, and then try to combine things. That's so interesting. Uh, um, many episodes ago, this is number 62 that we're on now, but several episodes ago, I interviewed someone who's um, one of her dogs, she's a golden retriever, who's part of the um, Maybe you can remember what it is because it's a very long name. It's like um, the Golden Retriever Cancer Study. Right. Um, right. I forget exactly who is running it, but um, her dog is one of the dogs in the study. And so they keep track of like what brand of carpeting is in their house and what is the pad under the carpet and what was the glue that was used. And there's just like so many elements that tie into this that it's like almost overwhelming. But, you know, you can break it down, I guess, and sort of figure out what might be the root cause of whatever your health problems are. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's really what we have to look at. You know, when I'm dealing with dogs with allergies and I have people who have old carpet with probably tons of mites, dust mites living in that carpet and, um, you know, maybe some mold spores that are under the pad in that carpet. And then we're trying to treat the allergy dog and it's like, well, you really need to rip up the carpet. You know, and that may or may not be something that's feasible or we need to keep the dog out of that area. Uh, so we have to look at everything that goes into it. We, we don't just throw drugs at them to squelch the symptoms. We want to heal the problem. We don't want to just treat symptoms. Yeah. So there's a big difference there. Yeah, and I think especially, you know, I, I always feel so sorry for dogs because they can't express how they feel. And so, um, you know, when you just put them on drugs for stuff, we don't, it's hard to know exactly really how it makes them feel if they're going to be on some kind of allergy drugs or something like that. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so, so one of the things I was looking at your website, you share a ton of recipes and you've got recipes in your books and everything. Um, and you've been talking already about 
how diet can make such a huge impact in our pets' lives. So what are some of the advantages to making your own dog food or dog treats? I know it sounds sounds time-consuming and messy and kind of gross <laughs> are some of the yeah. downsides, but what I, I'm sure the advantages far outweigh that. So tell us about they it. They do, and it's really interesting because many of my clients are vegans. And I will not design vegan diets for dogs or for cats, uh, especially cats, but it's just not what they're meant to eat. It's not healthy for them. We run into way too many health problems trying to do that. So, uh, you know, I look at my vegan clients and I say, well, I can get you something that's already prepackaged and pre-ground and, you know, made up so that, you know, you can just put some gloves on and, you know, get it into the bowl. Um, but I do have a lot of vegan clients who are willing to handle organ meats and raw meats and you know, do what needs to be done because they understand that that's what their dog is really meant to eat. Um, so for instance, we have six spaniels and for the most part we raw feed. However, sometimes I will make home cooked meals for them. I have a, a very popular recipe that's pre gone pretty viral, which was a little shocking to me, but it's called pup loaf. Um, and the recipe is posted on my website. There's a video how to make it and you can Frankly, make it as a big meatloaf. You can make it in little muffin, muffin pans. We call those puppins. Um, you can make it in a crock pot, or you can just grind it all up and feed it raw. So because we have so many dogs, we also live with my parents, and they have a dog, so there's seven dogs. When we make food, we grind about 100 pounds at a time. That's And that will only last us about two and a half to three weeks. Wow. And it's just because we have so many dogs. And so for, for people who have big dogs, if you've got Newfoundlands and St. Bernard's and you're trying to make your own food, you're making big batches of food and it does get time consuming. But I try to do big batches. I can make 100 pounds of food for my dog. require binding, buying a fairly good sized grinder so it goes through pretty quickly. Um, and then I package it raw in little containers. My dogs have two chest freezers and a refrigerator freezer. Uh, and, and I will admit I'm a little bit of a crazy person with making my dog's food because I understand how important it is. So if I can spend a few hours a month making their food and understanding the quality of what's going in there and knowing where every ingredient came from, for me that's so important because I've got old, I've got 17 and 18 year old dogs and I've got dogs with specific problems. And so when we feed our seven dogs, no two meals are the same. I was just so about to I ask you that. Dogs. Do they all have their own little... Yeah. Seven dogs on seven individualized diets because they've got specific medical problems that we're treating. Um, I'm the veterinarian for Monkey's House Senior Hospital Sanctuary, and they have usually around 25 dogs on site, and it's 25 different meals twice a day. And that's just because it's so important to design the diet to treat the specific problems that the animals are having. And that's, you know, not something that's easy for a pet owner to do. And that's why we've written the cookbooks to make it a little bit easier so that, you know, it, it's organized by if they've got a heart problem or a kidney problem or a liver problem, you can kind of look that up and say, oh, well, those are at least the ingredients that I know I need to put in here. And then you can kind of rotate through the diets. So it is a little time consuming. And I do have certain pet food companies that I adore that are very, very high quality. They tend to be smaller companies. Um, so for people who don't want to make their own, I have a list of, okay, these are the companies I would recommend that I trust and that we can get the exact diet pretty close to what we need. 
Yeah. So if someone um, is is feeding their dog, you know, maybe from one of these smaller brands that you support, um, a kibble or something like that, is there anything that you recommend that they add to their dog's diet? Like if they just want to kind of like dip their toe in the pool of of making their own dog's food, like what are some some easy, really nutrient dense things they can add in? So there's some really easy nutrient dense things that they can use. And by the way, there are no kibbles that I support. Uh, oh, okay. I am, I am an absolute avid um, promoter of not feeding kibble uh, because it's just not meant. Um, it was never designed with our dog's best interest in mind. Uh, it's a very high carbohydrate product. And now we're having the problems with all the legumes and the potatoes and the dilated cardiomyopathy, um, you know, or at least the suspicion that there's a connection. And it's because our dogs were never supposed to eat high volumes of peas. We're not supposed to eat high volumes of peas. And when we look at what um, we're feeding our dogs, part of the problems that we see is it gets magnified because if you put the same thing in the bowl day in and day out, and if there's a deficiency or an excess or a problem with that food, that's all your pet ever eats, it's a big problem because it just gets magnified over time. Um, So if you are going to insist on feeding dry kibble because you just can't figure out any other way to do it, here are some things that I would strongly recommend that you get on top of that food. Eggs, eggs are a superfood, just incredibly awesome. And you kind of can't overdo it. I had one client that I told her she needed to feed her dog eggs. It was a young uh, St. Bernard with hip dysplasia who just was not doing well, was painful, was scrawny, skinny, just about 85 pounds at a year old. And that's not where a St. Bernard should be. And so I told her she needed to feed eggs to support the bones and the the growth of the dog. She fed that dog two dozen eggs a day, (gasps) came back to me in six months, and she was feeding that with other foods. Yeah, right. But it was getting that along with the other food. The dog came back at 150 pounds, shiny, glossy coat, no pain. Didn't change the the formation of the bones, but the dog developed good muscle tone. And it was a totally different dog. And that St. Bernard lived to be 14 years old and never had problems with this. Wow. So that's the power of just getting the diet right. So eggs are a superfood. It doesn't matter whether you feed them raw, hard-boiled, scrambled. A lot of people will hard-boil them and feed them as treats. We do Easter egg hunts with our dogs every year. Uh, it's a it's a really fun thing to do. Throw the eggs around the yard and send your dogs out there to play. You, can, <laughs> you know, with or without the shells, because they can eat the shells. Um, greens. So cancer-fighting greens: broccoli, cauliflower. Even though that's a white, but <laughs> broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus kale, collards, grind them in a food processor to break down the plant cell walls for digestion, or you can saute them, steam them, whatever you want to do, throw those on top of your dog's food. Um, Healthy mushrooms, shiitake, maitake, reishi, the really healthy mushrooms, those are power packed cancer fighters. So I will saute those or even buy mushroom powders, mushroom capsules, those are just awesome additions. And then for treats, we'll use things like blueberries that are great antioxidants, carrots, green beans. So anything that's a fresh, whole food is going to supercharge whatever you're putting in that dog's bowl. So if you're going to feed kibble, which is technically a dead food because it's been cooked to death and then it's stored in a bag, and the dog food companies will proudly tell you that their dry kibble, if left in the sealed bag, will last 25 years. Ugh. What is that right there? <laughs> so how many preservatives are in there? And, you know, what's going on that you could open that bag in 25 years? That's a little scary to me. Right. So I have to retrace my steps a little bit because 
two minutes ago I said, you know, making your own dog food might be kind of gross, but what's really gross is kibble lasting for 25 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, some of the problems that we've had with actually not not only kibble, but a lot of it was kibble and then also some canned foods, uh, vitamin D excess that killed a lot of dogs and cats before the recalls were made. And one company in particular waited two and a half months to do their recall after actually almost three months after everyone else made their recall. So that many more animals had to die before they said, oh, hmm, maybe we should do something about this. Um, we've had problems with pentobarbital, which is euthanasia solution being found in pet food and killing dogs. And there's lawsuits going on with both of these problems. Uh, we also have the problem of the 4D meats, which is, you know, the rendered meats that can include any dead animal. They're unnamed sources. They're, you know, rendered down into a big soup. Um, and they do allow animals that have died other than by slaughter, even though it's illegal, FDA has it as a law on the books that you cannot put, you know, animals that died other than by slaughter into pet food. They know that it's happening and they won't enforce it. So, um, and they basically have come out with statements that have said, yeah, it's okay. We don't care. And as a pet owner, I really care. Yeah, that's very scary. So, so those are the problems that we see, you know, with the processed foods. So we have to be very careful with which companies we trust Um, And I I would recommend to your listeners, if they have not come across Susan Thixton with truthaboutpetfood.com, she is the watchdog, the consumer watchdog. She's been the consumer watchdog for about 15 years, and uh, she sends out newsletters with what's going on in the pet food industry, uh, problems with different companies, lawsuits, recalls very, very good at keeping us up to date on what's going on. Yeah, I've definitely heard of her site and been on there before. Yeah, it's 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 pretty awesome. So you'll you'll learn a lot, and you know it's so eye opening that that is why, frankly, people come to me and say, "Make me a diet." To, you know, tell me how to cook for my dog. Tell me how to make my own food. I'm really scared by what's going on out there. Or tell me which companies I can trust. And Susan does put out a list each year. It's called the list, <laughs> and you give her a donation, and she will send you the list. And they are the companies that have really jumped through hoops to provide invoices of where their meats are coming from, where their vegetables are coming from, uh, you know, uh, tours of their plants. You know, if you have a company that will allow you to come in and tour their plant and see exactly what's going on, that's a company with nothing to hide. And if you try to do that with some of these big pet food companies, you can't get past the gate at the end of the driveway. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. You know, there was a, uh, a doggy daycare and boarding facility here that years ago I had, um, one at an event at a fundraising event a certificate for boarding and I went in and they wouldn't give me a tour of the boarding and I would never let my dog stay somewhere where I wouldn't get a tour and so you know I'm not going to travel the world and go to all the dog dog food facilities (laughs) Um, but if they're not even letting you behind the doors that's a red flag yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. Most of those big ones, they are not going to let me in because I've been pretty vocal about, you know, things I don't like that they do. Uh, The smaller companies, they're like, yeah, come on in. Sorry to interrupt the interview, but I would love to see what you're doing while you catch up with the Wear Wag Repeat podcast. Take a screenshot of this episode in your podcast player or snap a selfie with your earbuds in. Bonus points if it's on a dog walk and share it to your Instagram stories tagging me at T Mystic. 
I'll keep an eye out for mentions and I would love to give you a shout out from my own account. Okay, now back to the episode. If they're willing to open their doors to me with a big mouth, who's going to tell people, you know, the real truth about whether I liked it or didn't like it, um, that says a lot. That That's a lot of transparency if they're yeah. willing to open their door. Yeah, right. No, I, you're not sugarcoating anything, I can tell, just in the <laughs> short time I've known you. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's better to just be honest. Um, so so we, at, at the very beginning of our conversation, you were talking a little bit about um, using food to, you know, help with cancer treatment. So, you know, you kind of use it as food therapy, which is an interesting term. And how do you use food therapy as part of a cancer treatment or, um, you know, a treatment for kidney failure or, or whatever it is? So, you know, cancer is an interesting topic. And, um, we have a family member right now that is, uh, pretty close to the end of uh, a cancer battle. And, so it's, it's kind of in front of me right now, but I came to, I was on vacation last week and I came back to work, walked in the office Monday and looked at my schedule and 70% of what I was seeing were cancer cases. Came into work the next day, same thing. And I, you know, it really hit me hard that we are dealing with so much cancer. We live in a toxic environment. These animals are being treated with chemicals that are just blow my mind that that veterinarians and pet owners think that it's okay to put literally a chemical insecticide inside your pet or on your pet. Um, the over-vaccination, I mean, there's just so many things that are contributing to this incredibly, you know, that the glyphosate that is, you know, from Roundup in our environment, you know, we test dogs' urine and, you know, they're loaded, I test people's urine, we're all loaded with these chemicals. And so the cancer problem is really out of control. We do know for a fact that uh, most cancers grow very well on carbohydrates that break down to sugars. So anything that's starchy in the diet, we need to get out of there. And uh, a lot of my cancer patients do incredibly well on raw diets and oncologists get very scared by that. And they're like, oh, you're gonna feed raw food and we've got your dog giving you a compromise because he's on chemotherapy. I've done it many times and it's never been a problem. You have to get clean raw food, but it has not been a problem. I have other pets that their system is so weakened that they do need a cooked diet, but we are trying to get the starches out of there as much as possible. So we use cancer fighting foods. We'll use the broccoli, the cauliflower, the asparagus, the mushrooms, the Brussels sprouts. Those are those cruciferous vegetables are incredible cancer fighters. So we'll put a lot of that in the diet. And we've got to take those calories that would have been a starch and we've got to replace them with either a fat or a protein. Those are our three choices. We've got fat, protein, and carbohydrates. So we end up upping the fat content on these diets quite a bit. So we'll do that with healthy oils, you know, whether it's coconut oil or fish oil. And we'll use high fat meats. So if we're using beef or pork, we don't want to go buy that 95% lean. If the dog can tolerate it, we're going to get them down to 80%. Sometimes we're even going as low as 70% because we want those fats. Now, mm. if you're having a high fat diet, you actually don't really want to cook it because fats oxidize and become rancid and then they promote inflammation in the body. So that's why the, the people who are really promoting the new keto diet for uh, cancer, it's a very high fat diet moderate protein and net zero carbohydrates. So all the carbs are basically 
utilizing as much energy to break them down as they're giving to the body. So it's a net zero. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're fed raw because we don't want the oxidation of the fats. So uh, that's kind of where we head. Now, there are commercial products that we can use that come pretty close to that. They're, they're not going to throw them into uh, true ketosis. But for people who don't want to be making their own food and they're you know a little wigged out by the whole thing, we have products that we can use. So um, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. But diet is paramount when we're treating any chronic disease. We've got to get the inflammation out of the body. And that's really every chronic disease is a product of chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm. And we've just got to get rid of that. And, and we can do that with food. So even, you know, kidney failure, kidney failure, we know we have to back off on our protein a little bit. So again, we've got to up our fats to get that in there. And those might be dogs where maybe we need some of those starches to keep the weight on them. So that we just modify things. So like my dog the other day, it was a cancer dog that then developed a kidney problem. It's like, well, poo, you know, and so what the oncologist wanted to do was put them on a very high carbohydrate diet. And the owner said, no, I can't do that. But I do need to bring my protein down a little bit. Well, how do we do that? Well, then we've got to up the fats a little bit. So, you know, we just looked at what we needed to do. And then we're also going to use foods that are more draining to the body so that we're getting those fluids moving through the kidneys better. So asparagus, radishes. I mean, they're just we have lists of, you know, these in my books, it has lists of these foods are going to help drain the body of fluid. So if you uh, have a dog with heart failure, you've got to get more fluid out of there because they're starting to stack up some fluid. Okay, we add these things to their diet. Done. Dandelion greens drains the liver, drains the heart. Beautiful. So we just have lists of foods. And once you, you know, for people that follow like my Facebook live every morning or my supporters on Facebook, we do private um, seminars and webinars and people that have kind of gotten into the flow of it, you know, their dog develops a problem. They'll just send me an email and they'll go, okay, these are the things I think I need to add into my diet. Am I right? And it's like, yeah, you guys are great, great students, you know, and they, they like, they just get it and they, they know what they need to add. So, um, it's pretty powerful, really powerful. Stuff. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm very intrigued. Um, so one thing I did want to ask you before we, you know, unfortunately have to wrap it up is, um, we have a couple questions, but you know, summertime is coming up and, um, if you're a dog owner or just a human, <laughs> you can't avoid hearing that there are just ticks like rampant everywhere. So are there any kind of natural ways that we can protect our dogs and ourselves even um, from, from ticks and other parasites that sort of come out to play in the summertime? Yeah, absolutely. I don't use any chemicals on my dogs and I haven't for years. Um, So we use essential oil sprays and I don't even apply them every day unless I know my dogs are going to be in a tick area. Uh, and we got fleas at our house last fall. Um, fall tends to be the bigger time for the fleas. And, you know, with seven dogs and four cats, you know, you get a bunch of fleas in the house and you kind of go, well, that's a problem. Um, but we didn't have to resort to chemicals. Luckily, we don't have any carpet. So that makes it easier. But I went through the house and I washed every blanket, every bed, you know, any cloth thing where they could be hiding out. I vacuumed the crevices of the sofas and around the corners of the house and we mopped everything. Um, and then we gave everyone a bath in an essential oil flea and tick shampoo and then sprayed them with the flea and tick sprays. And we just kept repeating that cycle every week. And within a few weeks, it was like, OK, no more fleas. Life is good. Um, so you it can work. And there are many, many essential oil products on the market that are safe. Um, and I don't know if you want me to name brands, but uh, Wonderside, Cedarside, Kin and Kind, 
Anna Malio, which is Melissa Shelton. Uh, she's a veterinarian who does essential oils. Um, Vetra Repel, I've had great luck with. And these are, you know, I look at it and I say, well, if that's safe enough to use on my dog and cat, it's safe enough to use on me. And, you know, we'll go the other way as well. If it's not safe enough to use on me, I'm not going to use it on them. So, you know, think about these guys as your children. And if you would not use that product on your child, why would you put it on your pet or mm-hmm. in your pet? Yeah. And if you're using topicals on your pet, are you comfortable with your children wrapping their arms around the pet, kissing the pet, snuggling the pet? So when you're putting those chemicals on and you have small children, keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of the chemical-based flea and tick medicine will say, you know, wash your hands immediately, avoid contact with your skin, and you're putting it right directly on your dog's skin. So that's yeah, a little wear, weird. Wear gloves, do not ingest. And actually some of the um, the newer, really awful ones that have come out in the last few years that we're really working against right now, um, some people have had really bad reactions just yeah. holding the pills and giving them or getting the topicals on themselves. And you know, you have to look at that and say, well, if people are having these bad reactions and all they did was touch it, what is happening when it's inside that pet? Yeah. So it's very, very scary. It is scary. Um, so be- before we go, not to like jump around so much, but um, okay. you you do so many things. that That's why like I could talk to you for four hours. Um, but give us a little bit of advice. You know, most of the people listening here are entrepreneurs or they dream of starting their own pet industry business. Um, and you have, you know, books and websites and veterinary practices and like, oh, like supplement lines and so many things. So do you have any advice for entrepreneurs <laughs> who are who are trying to get started? So I will tell you when I, cause I, I had my own radio show for two years and I, I interviewed many, many entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship is a mindset, first of all. And it's a, there's a great book out now called mindset and it's a growth mindset where you, you see a need for something. And a lot of times it starts with your own need. You know, you look at it and you go, man, wouldn't it be great? So like the woman who started cuddle clones, you know, she, she needed a college business pro- project and she was laying on her her uh, Great Dane and she said, how cool would it be if I could have a clone of this dog? I love this dog so much. And that's how she started her little, you know, her idea of the cuddle clone, making an exact replica of your pet so that you can have that in perpetuity. So uh, entrepreneurs start a vision and then that vision becomes a passion. And if you're passionate enough about it, you will not let anything stand in your way. So when I started doing holistic medicine, and then when I started getting into food therapy, and then I started looking at what's going on in the pet food industry, um, and what's going on with the over-vaccination in my industry, and what's going on with the chemicals, it became very clear to me that I could not sit down and shut up. I had to be the voice for our pets. Somebody has to stand up for these guys. Um, And I get very emotional when I get records or I get new patients and I see things that have been done not in their, their best interest. So once you have a clear passion and a clear drive, you need to not let anybody stand in your way. I have made huge mistakes. I invested $75,000 into a scam trying to learn how to get my products on Amazon. Um, 
and I lost that money. And I could have just come to a standstill and I could have allowed that to stop me. And instead I said, well, okay, now I have to make up that $75,000 somehow, some way, somewhere. And so it was kind of like, I couldn't really afford to just take a $75,000 loss and walk away. So how, what do you do? Well, you make a new path and you just, you don't let anything stand in your way. And that is what entrepreneurs do. And once you get one thing going, then other things open up. And if you're a dreamer, so entrepreneurs are dreamers. Um, and I mean, I, my husband and I sit there all the time going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? Wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? I mean, I have people approaching me, we want to partner with you to do this, to do that. And I'm just like, guys, there's only so many hours in a day. I pack 27 into each one, but, um, and you know, I'm on the road speaking a lot as well, but that's because I can educate more people if I'm out there. And that's why my social media has grown because I can educate more pet owners. So, you know, when something, when there's an obstacle thrown in your path, you basically, I mean, go ahead and cry, cry for 10 minutes, pound the walls, do whatever it is you need to do, complain to all of your friends, but also remember that you have 100% responsibility. And when something like the scam, you know, I can blame them to the cows come home, but guess what? It was my fault. I take responsibility. I fell for it. I invested in it. You know, I invested once and then I invested in them again and I invested in them again. So, you know, it's fool me once, you know, shame on me, fool me twice or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Well, you know, three times I fell for it. I'm like, well, that's a big shame on me. I had an embezzling office manager. Shame on me. I did not have protections in place. Believe me, I do now. You have to learn from the problems, learn from the mistakes and just say, okay, I cried. I'm getting up. I'm moving on. How do I make sure that doesn't happen again? How do I change my path? Stop banging your head against the wall. Just do something different. Um, but just don't let them stop you. You know, you're going to have naysayers. I have people, you know, people on social media are nasty. Oh, they, yeah. They're hiding behind their computers. They are nasty. So, you know, that delete and block button, it's an awesome thing. <laughs> delete and block. Delete and block and move forward and keep positive people around you. Surround yourself with positive people. Surround yourself with good mentors. Surround yourself. You know, I had an accountant who, you know, a week before taxes were due, said, by the way, you owe $42,000. And I kind of went, I what? Who? What? Like, you couldn't have told me during the year I should be paying more in or I should be doing. I got a new accountant. <laughs> You know, so when things don't go your way, change course, uh, stick with your passion, you know, know what your end game is. And by the way, that's a big part of it. Knowing what your end game is. Right. Like where, you know, if you, if you're doing that kind of circuitous path, go, running, chasing your own tail, it's because you don't know what your end game is. Mm -hmm. I think so it's always it plan. good to know, you know, if, if your wildest dream came true, what would it be? Exactly. Uh, and try to work towards that and make it very, very concrete. So don't say, oh, I wanna, um, I wanna be healthier by next year. No, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to drink 100 ounces of water a day. Mm -hmm. I want to have you know, a 1200 calorie diet every day. Be very, very, very specific and by what date that will occur and write it down and tell somebody else about it, it has about a 95% chance of happening. If it's just kind of in your mind, like, well, I think I'll get a little bit healthier next year. That is so non-concrete, it's never gonna happen, and that's why most uh, most people fail. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Judy, it's been amazing talking to you. I just wanna like hang out with you for the whole day, but I can't. <laughs> um, so tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. 
So uh, my website is really, really simple, www.drjudymorgan.com, drjudymorgan.com. Tons of information on there. All my products are on there. We have a web store with about 200 products and my books. Uh, my books are also on Amazon. Some of my products are on there. Uh, my Facebook is Judy Morgan DVM, as in Doctor of Veterinary Medicine. If you just do Judy Morgan, you get stuff about my kids. If you do Judy Morgan DVM, you get lots of information about your pets. And we do Facebook Live almost every day in the morning. Um, but they stay up there. There's over 750 videos on there at this point. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel, which I think is Dr. Judy Morgan. I don't go on there very much. Um, and then Instagram is Dr. Judy Morgan. Um, so those are the biggies, but yeah. if you go to my website, drjudymorgan.com, you'll find links to all those other things. Uh, but the Facebook page is really where we hang out and, um, really educate people. Yeah. So I'm going to definitely check that out. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Wear Wag Repeat podcast. You can fetch show notes at wearwagrepeat.com. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And until next time, we'll see you around the dog park.